גול, גול, גול על אדוני דרכך. גול, גול, גול על אדוני דרכך. ובטח הלב, ובטח הלב, והוא, והוא יעשה. ובטח הלב, ובטח הלב, והוא, והוא יעשה. Roll your path upon the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. I remember when, well, my path was really rolled upon the Lord's. It was a day not unlike today. My brother Simon and I were out fishing. And from our boat, we could hear the words of a wild man. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Needless to say, When you hear words like that, you listen up. Now, we were accustomed to hearing many things where we're from. People saying all sorts of stuff, but this was different. This man was out in the Jordan River. He was baptizing people. Now, baptism wouldn't be totally unusual. Us Jews, we were familiar with becoming ritually pure, being cleansed. And often, Gentile people would come and they would be baptized before they converted to Judaism. But this was a little bit more odd. There were Jewish people and Gentiles all being baptized by this man. My brother Simon piped up, Andrew, I hear this guy can really give you a good clean and you need a bath because you stink. Better go get one. Well, I did just that. This man was John the Baptist. John was preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was, wasn't forgiving sins himself, but he was preparing the way for one who would. John was, he was more like a prophet, a prophet of old, like Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah, he was, he was a great prophet. He was bold, he, he spoke the words of God. He was a hairy man, he wore a leather belt, and John was just like him. He even dressed like him. John was bold. He wore camel's hair. I don't think he was hairy enough on his own. And he wore a signature leather belt. And I see leather belts are a little bit more common nowadays. People were coming from all over Judea. Judeans like me, coming to John to be baptized, to confess our sins and be be made clean, to to prepare ourselves for this coming kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We would come from all over, and, and he was garnering such a following. People wondered who this John really was. People would come to him and say, hey, if the kingdom is coming, what exactly does it look like to live a changed life? And John would, would say, the one who has two coats should give to the one who has none. Tax collectors, they would come and say, well, John, what about us? What should we do? And John would say, stop overcharging people. Only collect what is required of you by the Romans. Soldiers, they would also come. Well, what about us, John? Stop demanding money from people by using your power and authority and making false accusations. Be content with what you are paid. People wondered whether John was the Messiah. 
people wondered this all the time. Anyone really who was garnering a big following out anywhere. And he was in the wilderness with lots of people flocking to him. There are always questions. The leaders from Jerusalem, they sent people, uh, Levites and priests, to ask John that very question. John, are you the Messiah? Now, you must understand, in our day and age, all kinds of people were around and they were pretending to be the Messiah. We had people who would come and gather a group of rebels and rebel against Rome and try to fight them, create some sort of insurrection, only to be crushed, only to fizzle out and become nothing. Judas the Galilean, Theodos, all fakers. There were so many expectations around who this Messiah would be. Would he be someone who would come to bring peace to the whole world? That that was the thought. Would he be someone who was given authority? Someone from the line of David who would be a righteous king? Now most of us thought that it would be some sort of national champion. That maybe it would be someone who would come who would unite the armies of the Jews. Who would go overthrow Rome and create a beautiful kingdom like Solomon. And David before him. But John replied to these people, No, I am not the Messiah. And the way he said it was almost like, I'm not the Messiah. But the Messiah is around. So they asked him, Well then, are you Elijah? Now, we expected someone to come before the Messiah. We expected Elijah. Malachi had prophesied that Elijah would come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. That Elijah would come and anoint the king. And and still, John said, no, I'm not Elijah. So they asked him, well, then, are you the prophet? Now, the prophet, they were really referring to a prophet like Moses. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, God will raise up a prophet like me, and you will listen to him. And still, John said no. So finally, they they asked John. They said, John, who are you? Just tell us, give us an answer so we can go and tell the people who sent us. And John replied, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make straight paths for the Lord. John was just that. He was a pointer. Someone pointing the way to the Messiah. He had quoted from Isaiah. He himself was not the Messiah. But he was important. We knew that. So they asked him, So then why do you baptize? John? And John said, I baptize with water for the forgiveness of sins. But after me will come one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John. Untying sandals was a slave's job. For John to say that meant that he wasn't even worthy to be called the slave of this person who was coming after him. It was so powerful for me. Especially later on in my life when Jesus, the king, bent down to, to untie my sandals and wash my feet. The king stooping low as a slave. Anyways, back to the story. So next, something happened. Something that totally changed my life forever. I remember it very fondly. I was with John. I was one of his disciples. 
And a man crested the hill. And as he crested the hill, coming towards John, John cried out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What? We were undone. Who could this be? Who could this be? John then said, he said, This is the one who is to come after me. This is the one who is much greater than I am, he said. No one recognized him, including myself. But I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John, he started recounting about how he had baptized this man. How he didn't even recognize this man until the one who told him to baptize with water told him that the one on whom the Spirit comes down and stays upon and rests upon, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John said, I can attest. I have seen with my own eyes. This is the Son of God. This was Jesus of Nazareth. A Galilean like me. The Son of God, God's chosen one, the Messiah. That whole rest of the day, my friend and I, we pondered, what would this mean for us? Would we leave John, who we'd grown to love so much, who we'd follow? Would we leave him and follow this Jesus? Who was the Messiah? What would he do? Would, would he lead us into a mighty victory? What did it, exactly did it mean that he was the Lamb of God? The next day, again, Jesus came towards John, and John cried out, Look, the Lamb of God. And I knew it. At that point, me and my friend, we said, okay, we're going. We know what you're saying. You're saying, go, look, get your eyes on this Jesus. He is the one. He's the one to follow. And so we began following him. And when I say follow, I mean we actually followed at a distance behind him. Jesus turned around and said, what are you, what do you want? And we said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And so he invited us to stay with him. And oh man, in that short amount of time, I began to see that this truly was the Messiah. It was amazing the way he treated us and spoke to us. He was the Messiah. I was so excited I could not contain my joy. I went out and found my brother Simon and said, Simon, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, the one long foretold. You have to come see him. And so I took Simon to Jesus and Jesus actually changed his name. Simon, my brother, was to be called Peter. And I thought, okay, rock on. Let's follow Jesus. So we began to follow him. We followed him and oh, the stories I could tell you of Jesus and what he did. But I'll tell you this one. So one day we were, well, we were journeying, but well, we were up in the Jordan and Jesus had us baptizing. We were doing exactly what John had done. We were baptizing people and I heard this from one of John's disciples. One of John's disciples went to John and said, John, the one that you testified about is up baptizing in the Jordan. And everyone is going to him. And John said this. I've told you before and I will tell you again. I am not the Messiah, the anointed one. I am the one to come before him. And then he gave this 
well, marriage-like analogy. He said, the groom is the one with the bride. And the best man takes his place and stands beside him. And when he hears the voice of the groom, he is swept up in the joy of the moment. And John said, I, or he, the groom, must take center stage, and I, the best man, must step to his side. John was saying, he must become more and more, and I must become less and less. That was John, always deferring. He was simply a voice calling out in the wilderness, drawing no attention to himself. And then he said, the one who comes from heaven, referring to Jesus, is above all. Or the one who God has sent speaks the words of God and God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hand. And whoever believes in the son, he's pointing right at Jesus. Whoever believes in the son shall have eternal life. And whoever rejects the son will not see life, but will only have God's lingering wrath. So that was it. And I knew that to be true from my experience, that the one who believed and followed Jesus would have eternal life, would be saved. After that, John got locked up. See, John was a prophet, and prophets, well, they, they always were rebuking the leaders, those in the leadership who should know better, who should know God's word and follow it. And John was speaking against Herod. See, Herod had done many evil things. One of the big evil things he did was that he took his own brother's wife, Herodias, for himself. And then he added it all, all that to it. He imprisoned John. Now everyone knew that a prophet was supposed to have immunity, to be able to speak the word of God freely. And he threw him in prison. Now John, while he was in prison a little later on, he sent messengers, some of his disciples, to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we be expecting someone else? What? John, you just testified. I've heard you testify that this one was the Son of God. I've heard you tell me. I'm following him now and I'm seeing that what you said was right. Why are you asking this, John? I wondered, why was John asking whether Jesus was the Son of God, whether he was the Messiah? threw me off for a minute. But Jesus responded to John this way. He said, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The lepers are cured. The dead are raised. The gospel is preached to the poor. The good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Now, Jesus had said these things. These were messianic texts from Isaiah. We we were familiar with these. But he had left something very interesting out. The captive shall be set free. He didn't say that. And I wondered whether Jesus was saying to John, Look, John, I am the Messiah. I really am despite the situation you're in. Or maybe he was saying to John, John, 
you won't be set free from this prison. But even so, I am the one who was to come. I am the Messiah. And that ended up being the case. John was never set free from prison. Eventually, Herodias asked for his head on a platter, and well, that's what she got. And John, he was still, uh, Jesus, he was still speaking to the crowd about John. He asked this question. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. People dressed in fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? Jesus said, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He was the one who was to prepare the way before the coming of the Lord. And then Jesus said this, No one who has ever been born to a woman is greater than John the Baptist, and yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. All the prophets and the laws and the law prophesied until John. And then he said this, And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. So John was the Elijah. Earlier, John had said, no, I'm I'm not Elijah. Well, I guess John wasn't Elijah. He was John. He wasn't someone else. He was John. But at the same time, he could have responded when asked whether he was Elijah. And so I often wondered, why did John just brush that question off as though he was not Elijah when really he was the one to prepare the way? I think it's because John did not want any of the attention on himself. John was, as every follower of Jesus should be, making sure that all the attention was only on Christ, not on himself. It wasn't about his position or authority. It was about Christ. Every breath, every word, every thought, every opportunity was to make Christ be exalted, to lift him up and not himself. And John did that faithfully. And it it cost John his life. John, as Jesus, he wasn't the one that people were expecting. There was no flash or fanfare. In fact, even the religious leaders who had their eyes peeled for this Messiah and the coming one to come prepare the way before him, they didn't even recognize him. I mean, John and Jesus both, they had some words that would make, well, make these leaders a little bit more than uncomfortable. See, they wanted to be the ones in charge. They expected things to be done the, the way that they, that they wanted. They expected the Messiah to come in a certain way, and when he didn't come, they rejected him. I mean, they couldn't even tell who the Messiah was when he was staring them right in the face because they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to make the rules. They wanted to be the ones in charge of their own righteousness, in charge of the laws, the peoples, and and judging them. They wanted to be the judges. They didn't really want to allow God to be it. Jesus said this as he was speaking of John the Baptist. He said this to this generation. He said, to what shall I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace saying, 
We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not mourn. You know how children are. They play house. and In this case, they play in the marketplace and they were playing, well, wedding and funeral. But the people wanted to walk and dance really to their own tune. They, they weren't in tune with what was actually going on around them. They didn't want to recognize the Messiah when he was right there because he didn't come in the way that they expected. They wanted to do their own thing. John, Jesus said, he came fasting. He didn't have any strong drink. He was out in the wild eating locusts and honey. And you said he was crazy. He was demon-possessed. Jesus, the Son of Man, he came, Jesus said. And he was drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And he was eating. And you say, oh, he's a glutton. He's a drunk. And he eats with tax collectors and sinners to boot. But, Jesus said, wisdom is proved right by her actions, not by your opinions. They didn't want to dance. They didn't recognize what was right, what was really happening in front of them. Not long after John's head was served on a platter, Jesus gave up his life, dying on a cross. The creator of the stars, the Son of God, the Messiah, died. I mean, it was totally unexpected. I remember after he had died, me and the ten other disciples were hiding out in a room, scared, wondering, were we wrong? This isn't at all what we expected. But then he was glorified. He rose from the dead. We, I've seen him with my own eyes. Jesus rose from the dead. Truly. He is the Messiah. He came not to bring a mighty military rule at all. It was totally different. He came instead to save us from our real enemy. Sin and death. Glory to God. After he came and he rose from the dead, he gave us, his disciples, and and all who would follow him, a great commission. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Spirit, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've taught you. And so that is now where my life is. Yes, I'm still a fisherman. I still fish in the Sea of Galilee. But not only am I a fisherman, I'm a fisher of men. Wherever I go, in towns as I walk and share the good news of Jesus, I am called to be fishing, to be sent on missions. I'm a sent one. One sent to share this good news that Jesus Christ is alive and he has taken the punishment for our sin so that we can have a renewed relationship with God. Glory to God. And so now I live my life saying like John, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. Andrew, the disciple Andrew, he ended up living his life just, just like that, preaching the same message that John preached. 
Uh, much of the story, as you can see, is kind of a, a put together with a little bit of a creative license, really to bring together different accounts from Matthew 3 and 11, John 1 and 3, and Luke 3. But the real message that I want to convey today is this. Our expectations need to become less and less, and Christ more and more important. Andrew died in Patras, Greece, for sharing the gospel to Romans, many of them who, they actually abandoned their Roman gods and started following Jesus. It, came, it became such a ruckus that he was eventually put to death for it. Andrew was called an apostle, which means a sent one. And all of us, if we follow Jesus, are called, we are sent out on mission. Though we're not apostles as Andrew was, the Great Commission is extended to us to go and make disciples of all nations. But there's something that often gets in the way. The same kind of things that got in the way for the Pharisees from recognizing that Jesus was the Messiah. I call these idols of expectation. Things that govern our decisions and thoughts. Now, some expectations that we have, they're quite simple. I expect to be paid for my work. Or I expect my friend to keep their word. But we don't need to look very far to see how our unmet expectations really serve to show how selfish we are. Like, expect your car to start. And if you're in a hurry and it doesn't start, cover your kid's ears. Expect your wife to have dinner made when you get home from work. Or expect your husband to have that project fixed when you're home from work. And when it doesn't, anger, bickering, fighting. See, our expectations so often fall on other people we're not so much unlike those Pharisees who expected the Messiah to come with military might and when he didn't, they had him crucified. But what if we changed our expectations this year? What if our only expectation was to live our lives to exalt Christ, to step back, to see where God is at work, and to say, I want to join in with you and lift you up. What if we lived our lives like that, not concerned at all with our pleasure, with our comfort, with our own glory and success, or our wants? What if we laid our preferences aside, preferences of who we hang out with, preferences of what we do even in the morning, preferences of where we eat, and we just served others so as to exalt Christ and lift him high? See, so often human selfishness and sin blinds us really to God's work in our lives. God all throughout scripture was, has been showing up in places that are unexpected, unforeseen, even when they've been foretold. Elijah, the prophet, he has a time where he's waiting to hear from God, and all this noise happens, and finally he hears God in the silence, a place where it was unexpected. Now, the scribe for the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, his name is Baruch, he has this moment as the people are going into exile where, he, where he's wondering, what is going to become of himself? And God gives a word through Jeremiah to Baruch. It says this, Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. And that was accompanied with a promise that God would preserve Baruch's life. And I think that really echoes to us what John is saying. Here we have John the Baptist. He's a true prophet of God. He's honored above all men. And instead of pursuing riches and comfort, he goes out into the wilderness and he lives wildly. He's got these heavenly riches, and it's seen in earthly rags. Jesus, now seated on the very throne of God, left all that 
to come and be with us. Heavenly riches and earthly rags. Not earthly riches, even though he was the king. And so then there's this characteristic of Advent. That the expectations of glory and honor, though they come, they're not going to come with pride, with riches or success, but instead with spiritual humility. A proper placing of ourselves under the lordship of Jesus and his love. And John, he really gives us a great earthly model. And there are many, even in our community, who give us great earthly models. Leaders who take the time to invest in the young people of this church, giving extra time out of their week, not just regular youth group days, and even those who do. Friends who I have who steward their possessions in such a way as to say, this belongs to God, not to me. And it gets used for his purpose. People who open up their homes freely to let other people come in and dine with them. And, and Jesus, our king, models this so perfectly. Isn't it shocking that our king, Jesus, came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you and me? See, having Jesus as our king is unlike any other kind of ruler or king in the world where the king would come in and overtake an area, make people do his bidding and say, as long as you command, give me tribute, follow my laws, and, and obey and respect me, then we're good. Jesus gives us something far better than that. He actually makes it possible for us to have a reconciled relationship with God. And that's the thing that changes our hearts, that makes us want to obey and love him. Not just to do what's right because we're afraid or we think it's going to earn God's favor. No, all of that was paid for by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. His costly grace given to us because of his love for us. And we can never afford to pay him back for that. Like John, if we've experienced Christ, if if we've experienced his grace and kingship in our lives, we're called to be witnesses to the gospel with our words, the way we live, to attest and say, this is the Son of God. We're called to be sent one, sent on mission, to call out to those in the wilderness, right? They're places of testing. And make no mistake, our world is a place of testing. Call out to them to say, make room in your hearts for Jesus. And so often this happens when we come face to face with our inadequacy, with our inability to save ourselves, where we are able to finally be those humble and contrite people, truly called to worship God. Whether we're at our wit's end or enjoying a time of blessing for God, that is still possible. Bonhoeffer, who Pastor Dave already alluded to in our series, he once wrote these words, which actually he had to smuggle out of prison, and it's now in a hymn called Von Guten Machten, By Gracious Powers. Here's what he says. By gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting, come what may, we know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day. And when this cup you give is filled to brimming with bitter suffering, hard to understand, We take it thankfully and without trembling out of so good and so beloved a hand. Yet when again in this same world you give us the joy we had, the brightness of your sun, we shall remember all the days we lived through and our whole life shall then be yours alone. And that's true. No matter what, when we exalt Christ, we are able to live all of our days, the days that are hard to understand, the days of joy, knowing that all of them are for God alone. They're not for us, not for our glory. 
And so then today, if you're a Christian here today, I want to ask you, how are you called in your workplace to really live out what John says, to become less and less so that Christ might become more and more? How are you called to make yourself low so that Christ can be exalted? How are you going to prepare the way for Christ in your family, among your friends? And is that what you want? Do you want to be a fisher of men? To be a voice that says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What are some of the blind spots in your life? I thought about this a few weeks ago. I'd often come home and just, I just kind of go downstairs and do my thing. I, I have landlords who live above me. And one day as we were praying and we were talking about this Advent series, what does it mean to say, Lord, I am your servant? Show me how to make myself less and you greater. I realized that I rarely took the time to even do something simple like shovel for my landlord. See, there, it was a blind spot for me. There are places and people that we pass every day Places that we're really called to fish, sometimes just because we're there. Where we're called to go out and talk with people and, and share the joy that we have in Christ. Maybe for you it's the gym or a coffee shop or some place you frequent a lot and often you're just in a hurry, you just want to do your own thing. I know it's like that for me. I know what it's like to want to de-stress and just run to the gym only to have you know people want to come up and talk and say hi. But you're in a hurry But why are we in a hurry if our main calling is to be witnesses to Christ? Can we make room in our day to be witnesses to Christ? To really make Jesus more and more and ourselves less and less in the way we plan our day and in the way we actually live it? See, if we follow Jesus, we aren't setting out in the year 2020 seeking seeking great things for ourselves. That is nearsighted. We want to have a true 2020 vision, uh, to see both near and far, to live like the reality of the far off, of the returning Messiah and all his glory, Jesus is coming again, to live like that really matters in our lives here and now for what we see near. So let's go then, reminding ourselves as we close 2019 and begin 2020 that he must increase and we must decrease. Let's not seek great things for ourselves, but say with John, He must become more and more, and I must become less and less. Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And let us ask ourselves this question every day. Because Christ died for me, will I live for him? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for John the Baptist and for what we have recorded of him. How he constantly took the spotlight off himself and shone it on you. God, may we do that in our lives too. May we bring you glory and not ourselves glory. May we give you honor and not bring honor to ourselves. May we look to you for fulfillment and know that we are approved not on the basis of the good things we do or our worldly success, but only on the finished work of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.